That's my water. <laughs> oh, that is your water. I just want to be a blessing. <laughs> yeah. That was classic. He's always, he's always looking out for me. <laughs> uh, uh, what a privilege it is uh, for me and my son Andrew to be with you this morning. Um, a gift every time I walk through the doors of this church, every time I'm here and am mindful of how God has done such a great work through this body of believers for so many years, so many decades. And um, as I look out and see a lot of new faces, that's thrilling to me because I know that God is building his church and that there's many people that I do not know. Um, but I also look out and see the faces of many uh, that invested much into me as a child, <laughs> invested much in my family over the years, invested much into what God is doing to establish his kingdom in West Africa. And I'm humbled. I'm humbled as I look and see your faces and um, am so very mindful that God has worked through the prayers of so many of you um, to accomplish what he desires, all for the glory of our King Jesus. So I'm here to thank you, to thank you for the partnership that we've had for many, many years. I am here to thank you for being a church that prioritizes missions, prioritizes the things that are closest to the heart of God, and that is the nations, that the nations would know what a Savior we have. And this church has, uh, for decades, made that a priority. Uh, so I say thank you. I say thank you to you, uh, so many of you that have lifted us up in prayer. I know that God works through the prayers of his people, and you have faithfully prayed for us. Um, as I was even this morning considering some of the things I wanted to share, I thought about the prayers of this church through, um, through the decades and thought of a prayer that was said for, uh, for me on this very platform uh, years ago uh, on my wedding day. And uh, as I stood here and um, married my husband, uh, then Pastor Davis prayed for our family and prayed specifically, I remember being taken back a bit, he prayed specifically that the children that God would give us would follow God. Um, God works through the prayers of his people, and I thank you for being obedient and helping us, partnering with us. Um, there is no explanation for everything that I will share today except for the fact that God is at work, and God is sustaining our family, accomplishing what he desires. Um, we are the DeCreckers, and uh, we serve in a very um, obscure, distant place, very far from here, very different from here, uh, at the Hospital of Hope in Mongo, Togo. And your church has partnered with us from the very beginning. Before this hospital was even in existence, you were already on board to um, help us, to pray for us, to pray into existence this facility. And uh, we are so very grateful. Please know that... Um, I sincerely thank you, and I believe that we are truly partners, and someday you will see the fruit of all of those prayers and all of the efforts over the years. Um, to start off with, I just thought it might be good to give a brief update on my family um, and my, my sons, and I do call them my little boys, even though they are all much <laughs> taller than me. Um, 
Uh, when I explain to you what God has been doing uh, in their lives, I, I ask that you would just thank him. Um, there's no explanation uh, for what God has done in their lives other than um, the pr- him answering the prayers of many. There's been extravagant grace poured out, extravagant grace that has continued to keep them casting their vision towards him, the one that... Um, is worthy, and he's promised in his word um, that he will be a father to the fatherless. And I've told him that many times when things aren't going as I would would want, and um, I see their needs. I tell him, "You said, you said you would be a father to the fatherless," and he has kept his promise. And all glory and honor goes to him and to him alone. I give. Um, I'll just give you a brief update on each of them. My oldest son, William, graduated uh, this past spring from college and is, uh, in July, started medical school at Penn State. Um, God has been so faithful to answer our prayers once again as he started a new season in a new place where he knew no one, and he found a good church home there and a good core group of uh, Christian friends so they can spur one another on to walk in obedience, Um, just another evidence of God's grace. My second son, Grant, is a... uh, junior nursing major at Cedarville University and doing very well. Uh, my third son, Luke, is a sophomore at Cedarville University studying pharmaceutical sciences. And uh, my fourth son, Andrew, is a 10th grader, um, doing very, very well. All these boys um, grow, grew up in Mongo, Togo, and uh, invested much into the life of the hospital. Um, and because of that, God uh, poured out grace and gave them um, a desire to use what he'd given them Uh, to serve in the hospital. All of them were plugged in in different roles throughout the hospital. This past summer, I was so uh, blessed to have three of my sons with me to serve alongside me in the hospital day in and day out as they served in different departments. And uh, each evening as we had dinner together and I would share something about a patient that I spoke with as a chaplain in the hospital, um, they would often say, oh yeah, I I worked with that patient too. And uh, what a gift to have that, um, that teamwork. And again, this is just the work of God sustaining us and giving them, um, giving them the skills that they need to do this. Um, the Hospital of Hope was established by ABWE um, and obviously the powerful hand of our God to bring the truth of the gospel to a very dark place. Um, yes, it is a hospital. We do our very best to provide uh, compassionate health care done with excellence. But, and, and that's a lot of work. It's a very big facility with a lot of moving parts. Um, but ultimately, the goal is not health care. From day one, the goal has been the gospel. And every day, uh, that is why I am in that hospital, to make sure that we, look, uh, that we walk through every open door that we can to sow the seeds of truth about who Christ is with our patients. God brings us patients from across West Africa, um, from several countries, and the majority of our patients, the majority by far, are, are coming from um, a Muslim background. And so um, he brings them to us at a place where they are um, needy and open to hearing truth, and we're so very grateful for this opportunity. Um, I'm going to show you a really uh, short video now that will help you uh, see what the hospital looks like and give you a tour through the facility, and we'll... Um, uh, just show you where I spend my days.
So now you've uh, got a little view of what our days look like, uh, the facility that God has established, and the fact that um, really this is something that we are here to boast and boast in the Lord about what he's done. This facility is really in the middle of nowhere, and when God led us there, um, all we had was a big piece of property that was just a big, empty piece of desert. And since that initial day, uh, God has just continued to bless, and a lot, a lot of that um, is because of your partnership with us, your prayers for those difficult days of getting this, under, getting this underway, the days of recruiting um, physicians and nurses to serve alongside us. All of this um, is because of what God chooses to do with the global body of Christ. Um, just recently, um, I spoke with um, someone on the ground there, and they told me that we're almost to 94,000 patients that we've seen. 94,000 people have come from across West Africa to have their health needs met. And they've been um, given compassionate health care in the name of Jesus. And they've been prayed for in the name of Jesus. So please boast in the Lord with me. Please take time to thank him for what he has done. Um, We have, um, obviously, over these years, we've seen the redemptive hand of God working through the brokenness around us, uh, physical and spiritual brokenness. And he has moved and redeemed and restored the lives of several. And so this morning, I'm going to share with you specific stories about people that he has um, drawn to himself. But as I share those, I for sure have to tell you that these are not stories that happen every day. These are not daily occurrences. Uh, we see the hand of God working in this way because we're there over the long haul. We're there over, for, over years of plotting and sowing, and God is drawing the nations to himself. Uh, but this is not an everyday occurrence. But I share them with you because I know it will be encouraging to your heart to hear these stories. And as I share them with you, and as I speak of the redemptive hand and the restorative hand of God, I want to invite you um, to consider that the same God is your God, the one who works here in West Michigan, and he's still the same God who wants to restore and redeem. Um, It's the brokenness that you walk through, the brokenness of your neighbors and your coworkers. And um, as I begin, I want to share a a, a true story about um, one of my dear friends, Um, And this will kind of frame things up and put things into perspective uh, for many of the things that I will share this morning. Um, My friend was experiencing headaches and had problems with her vision. And uh, we had a team coming, a team of ophthalmologists that were coming to serve, and they were going to care for, uh, do cataract surgeries and several things like that. And she was going to see them. And so when they arrived, she um, had a consultation with them and was able to, to meet with them, and they did several uh, different exams on her. And afterwards, uh, their, um, their words were a bit surprising to her. Um, they said she did not need new glasses, but uh, in fact, what her eyes needed was rest. And they told her that um, it was very important that every day, several times throughout the day, that she would step outside and that she would take a long view at the expanse of creation around her, that she would get a a view of things out in the distance, that she would make it a priority to take that time to get away from the things that were close at hand and look out at the expanse that she could find on the horizon to change her, her focal point. And when she shared this with me, I saw a a correlation between my own spiritual life. As I walk through difficulties and trials, as I see 
intense suffering every single day in that hospital. Um, I can become overwhelmed easily. So I ask you, perhaps the same is true for you today. Are you overwhelmed and wearied? Perhaps you've become jaded by the sin that you see around you or your own personal battle with holiness. Um, Perhaps you're overwhelmed by the conflicts with evil and the grief that you've had to endure Much has changed in our world in the recent years, and perhaps this is overwhelming to you. I know that in my days, walking through that hospital, looking into the eyes of so many people that are suffering so intensely, and not just suffering, but suffering without hope, uh, it can become very overwhelming. And so those are the times that I must make myself echo uh, the prophet Jeremiah in Lamentations 3, where he says, I call these things to mind. Therefore, I have hope. He says these things, and then he continues to speak about those things. And he says, the steadfast love of the Lord never fails. His mercies never come to an end. Great is his faithfulness. He goes on to say, the Lord is my portion. The Lord himself is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord himself is my portion not my circumstances that uh, are ever-changing, not the um, things that I can tend to focus on that become overwhelming. How is this going to work out? How in the world can that be happening? What in the world are we going to do now? These things that are close at hand, I have to follow this example. I call these things to mind, therefore I have hope. And so um, I must make these choices every day. I must choose to rest my spiritual eyes and get a long view. The truth of eternity and what awaits us. I must choose to look on the beauty of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, in the fullness of Jesus Christ. There are so many things in this world that are vying for our attention. Many of them are not bad things. But at the end of the day, how many of them actually push us into a deeper relationship with our King? How many of them push us to share the hope that we have. So I must choose to focus on the glory of God in the fullness of Christ. I must choose to ponder the multitudes that are waiting just inside the gate for us. What a day that will be when we walk through those gates. I must choose to ask God to help me to remember and never forget that the things that are most important in this world have not changed. They will not change, and they cannot change. These are the truths that I must bring to mind every day as I face trials, as I look into the eyes of so many people are suffering, that are suffering. And so this morning as I share, um, I'm going to share things that I have had to speak to my own heart, truths about who our God is and what he is doing, truths from his word and how he has manifested himself that way in the lives of those around me. So as I share these truths, um, I hope it will be encouragement to you as well. Uh, First and foremost, our shepherd is sovereign. Our shepherd is sovereign. Um, This, the absolute sovereignty of our God is something I cling to every day. So every morning as there are hundreds of people waiting outside the gate to be seen, hundreds, 
and I know that we cannot care for them all. I must go back to this truth. The sovereign one who reigns on high, who loves these people more than I do, he knows their needs. He knows our limits. We are so limited. And he uh, is, is sovereign in this. And I can trust him. I can trust that he, he, he is in complete control. And not only is he sovereign, he balances out this with a perfect love. And he's always um, doing what he seems, deems best to bring glory to himself. The sovereignty um, is spoken of in this verse from the words of Jesus. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. They will listen. The sovereign one is wooing them. I saw this sovereignty played out in the life of this Fulani man. He came to us from Burkina Faso, and he had actually been to our, our hospital on five different occasions. And each time he came with another family member, we would sow more seeds of truth, and he would hear more shreds of who Jesus is and his great love for, for him. And so over these visits, um, our relationship grew. And um, the last time he was with us, just most recently, I was able to uh, visit with him on the morning that he was leaving to go back to Burkina Faso. Burkina Faso, which is a country that is now closed to missionaries. Um, and uh, because I had a relationship with him, because he had already been open and friendly with me, I was able to speak with him. That's not the norm uh, for me as a woman with uh, Muslim men. But there was already a relationship and so I was able to be quite direct with him, and I asked him who he believed that Jesus is. And in classic African fashion, he responded to me with a parable. He said, uh, you know, I'm a father and a grandfather, and nothing brings me more pleasure in this life than when I give one of my children some instructions, a task to complete, and I see that that child goes and accomplishes my desires willingly, promptly, and with joy. He went on to say he believes that that's the heart of the Father, God the Father, who sent his only son to accomplish a task that only that son could accomplish. That Jesus came to this earth. He was the Lamb of God. He laid down his life in our place. Could barely contain myself as he shared this clear understanding of what had to be accomplished and what was accomplished to completion. Our God is sovereign, and he is drawing the nations to himself. The second truth um, that I cling to is that our immortality is a reality. If we are in Christ, we are immortal. This is not a quaint phrase, but a truth that is found in scriptures. Human life reaches out beyond what we call death. Death is not a wall that ends, ends our lives. Death is a gate that opens into a beautiful expanse of eternal life where we will be in the presence of our king and ever, all the sufferings of this world will be over. Our immortality is a reality I must remind myself of this every day when things seem overwhelming and I ask myself, how in the world can this be what God desires? I must speak to my own heart and say, this life is a vapor, a vapor. It's short, and I must be doing things that will 
bring dividends in eternity. So I speak of eternity a lot. Um, such was the case with this young mother that God brought to us. I'm sorry, a young woman who God brought to us from Burkina Faso. She had faced much suffering, much, much suffering. In the recent years, she had watched three of her newborn babies die before they, ate, they reached the, the age of one month, all of congenital disease that she couldn't do nothing about. And because of that, for over a year, she had not slept because of just reoccurring nightmares of those images in her mind. Her, her physical health was declining rapidly, and her family was greatly concerned. Her brother, who was an, is an imam, a Muslim religious leader, um, did everything he could and cared very deeply for her, but saw nothing helping her. And uh, when a, one of her cousins, who had actually been to our hospital, spent time with her and saw um, what a crisis was at hand, he said to her that um, he'd been at a hospital in northern Togo where they prayed for their patients. And he believed that there was power in that prayer. And so they traveled many days to make it to our hospital. And when they arrived at the gate with the other hundreds of people out there, they didn't ask to see a doctor like everybody else. They asked to see the people who would, would pray for her. And so we spent um, that full morning uh, walking through scriptures with her, starting with creation. Uh, we, her, her brother was with us. Uh, it was a team of women and our several male chaplains to just to open the word of God and discuss the scriptures and point out the prophecies of the Old Testament and how they all point perfectly to the fulfillment of it all, the Lamb of God who came and completed that work that only he could complete. She was admitted to the hospital, and so over several days, we had many interactions with her and her brother. They saw hope in the lives of the chaplains that I work with. They saw a perspective that was different. And at the end of their visit, they bowed the knee and surrendered their lives to Christ. We sent them back to Burkina Faso with scriptures in their own language on their phone, a Jesus film in their own language on their phone, and a contact of pastors, several pastors in Burkina Faso. Ask you to pray for this family. Um, they face difficulties as they will face persecution. Um, one truth that just always um, comes to mind when I'm sharing with someone that is suffering like this woman, this woman who now faces, she faces a life on this earth, a childless. And in that culture, that is very shameful. And so uh, her days are very hard. And uh, I'm able to share with her after her decision that uh, this life is not all there is and that there's a greater life waiting for her. And a scripture that I often go to um, is this one, um, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? There is no sting in death for those of us who are in Christ. There's an eternity waiting for us that is going to be glorious. And so I often share this as well as um, in cases like her, that these light and momentary afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Light and momentary. That's what scripture calls them. I often tell the Lord that they don't feel light and momentary to me. But that's what he says they are. And that's producing something far greater. The other truth that is highly uh, motivating to me and keeps me persevering is that he's always drawing his own to himself. He's always drawing people to himself. 
Uh, again, the words of Jesus. My father is working until now, and I am working. Uh, what a gift it is to know that he is always doing a million things that I cannot see. When worries and concerns become overwhelming, when that pit of forms in my stomach, and I think, how in the world is this going to happen? Or why is this person not listening? Or why is the Spirit of God not wooing them to himself and showing them his beauty? I go to this and know that he is always working. He's working through circumstances that I cannot see. Such was the case in the life of a man named Enoch, who came to our hospital with his daughter. Enoch had been born into a Christian family and named by Christian grandparents, but left his childhood faith at a very young age and had um, wasted his life. He showed up at our hospital with a very ill child and spent many, many days in our hospital with his child. And in that time, our chaplains were able to spend a lot of time with him. And uh, they started by explaining to him what his name, the significance of his name that Enoch was a man in the Bible that walked very intimately and had a very unique relationship with our God. And that we are all created to have that type of a relationship. And Enoch, over the weeks, listened, and the Spirit of God was showing him that he was, he was without hope and he was walking in darkness. Enoch, before they left the hospital, weeks before they left the hospital, he prayed and received Christ asking for that forgiveness that he knew he de so desperately needed and beginning a new relationship with his creator, God. He expressed great grief over the suffering and the pain he had caused his family for the decisions that he had made. And as he prayed, I heard him on many occasions pray and ask God to help him use his, the days that he was going to have on this earth to bring glory to his new king. Enoch was an example of how God is always working through the prayers of people to draw his own to himself. The fourth um, truth uh, that I've seen played out is that the Father calls his own and holds them forever. In a very familiar scripture, my Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I saw this played out and continue to see this played out in the life of this dear woman. Uh, I love this woman so much. She is uh, my sister in Christ, my fellow, fellow soldier, and we spend our days together. She came to faith in Christ in the prison. Before the hospital opened, we as a team were doing, um, were visiting the prison and looking for opportunities to teach the word. Uh, my friend here named Lamatu was, uh, is from a Muslim family, and while in prison, she had lots of time to study, and she's an, uh, a brilliant woman, highly intelligent. So she devoured the scriptures and was convicted that uh, she was not walking in the light, and she needed a relationship with God and that only could be done and only, only accomplished through Christ. And so in prison, she bowed the knee, and she made that very, very difficult choice for her. But she deems him worthy of the sufferings. She deems Jesus worthy of all of the difficulties that she now faces as um, being highly persecuted from her Muslim family. Every day, uh, she hears insults and um, just very difficult words from not only her family but her entire community. So she now serves with me in the hospital, in the community that she grew up. And so 
several of the families that come to us that spend time in our hospital have known her since she was a child. They know what she's come out of. They know the decision that she has made. And so you can imagine there are a lot of comments. On top of that is the challenges, the trials every day of looking into the lives of so many people that are suffering, so many mothers that have lost child after child after child, and being able to speak the hope of the gospel into those lives. This is not an easy life, but yet God is holding her. He, he has her close, and uh, she is persevering because of his work. The last uh, truth that um, I've seen played out is that the Father calls his sheep to obedience. This goes so well with the theme that you've chosen, follow me. <laughs> the words of Jesus, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They follow in the footsteps. And uh, I've seen this obedience played out in a small handful, just the small handful of believers that God has called to himself as um, they are now motivated to go and share the truth, share the hope that they have. Um, in This is not just a um, ministry about medicine in a hospital. This is a church planting ministry. And so we are all about the church and that the kingdom is established through the church, the priority that God has for his church. And so across the northern region of Togo and actually into Burkina Faso, there are now... Uh, over 20 small groups of people that look just like this, who meet under trees. And um, my brothers and sisters open the word of God and teach chronologically from Genesis to the fulfillment of it all in the life of Jesus. And um, my brothers and sisters are motivated to walk in obedience. And there are a lot of discouraging days, a lot of days where you ask yourself, what does this really even make a difference? But yet they make that choice to do the next thing and to walk in obedience and to share the truth. I also th see that obedience in these dear people that I get to spend my, my days with in the hospital. Uh, this is our chaplaincy team. The majority of this team came to faith in Christ through the ministry of my missionary team um, out of Muslim backgrounds. And now they spend their days in that hospital. We start in the Word of God every morning trying to fill our souls fill our own reservoir so we will have something of value to share. And we pray together that God would open doors, that God would be doing the, the work that only he can do. And um, I, I covet your prayers for these people. They are baby Christians, and they have a very hard job, uh, but they are walking in obedience and doing their best to please their king. As a career missionary, I cannot stand here in front of you and um, not take this opportunity to ask you if God might be calling you to obedience. The Hospital of Hope is a phenomenal ministry that God himself established in a very dark place. And there are opportunities every single day to sit at the bedside along Muslim families and to discuss spiritual things. They are very open to discussion. They will bring it up. And we do not have enough teammates to walk through these, these doors of opportunity. I'm asking, perhaps there is someone here, maybe a handful of people here this morning that God might be calling to join me in this endeavor. I will not make it, um, I will be honest and tell you it's not easy. Uh, but there's great privilege in sowing seeds of truth. And I can persevere and put my feet one foot in front of the other every day 
through those difficulties, knowing that seeds of truth were sown today. I prayed for somebody in the name of Jesus, and they now understand more fully what he accomplished for them. And if I can go home every evening and think about that, I can say, I can do this again. And I'm inviting you to join me in that. We need doctors. We need nurses. We need sincere Christ followers who love the word, who love the word and want to share it. Um, The words of Jesus again um, from John 20. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. Now, I do not believe that every single person here needs to join me in Mongo. (laughs) But I do believe that we're all called to obedience. And I cannot tell you what obedience might look like for you. That's between you and your Heavenly Father. For you, obedience um, might look like doing the very, very hard thing of walking across the street and establishing a good relationship with someone who might be very difficult and even bitter and doing that same thing again the next day and visiting that person, all with the goal of sharing the hope that we have. Because this life is a vapor. It will be gone before we know it. And there are people that are walking in darkness that need to hear of the hope that we have. The tasks that are before us, the tasks for me in Mongo Togo, and even the tasks for you of, of establishing those relationships with difficult people can become overwhelming But what a gift it is to know that the God who has called us to do these things, it is him that will accomplish them. It has very little to do with, with me or with us. It has to do with the God who holds all authority, the one who has promised to equip us for what he's called us to accomplish. This verse in Hebrews has brought me through decades, (laughs) decades of um, trials and difficulties Our Father holds all authority, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The one who upholds the universe by the word of his power surely is powerful enough and loving enough to equip me to accomplish what he's called me to do. So very grateful for um, your partnership with us. So very grateful that this church has stood faithfully uh, for the gospel amidst difficulties, amidst years of of lack and things uh, transpiring that we don't understand. And in that, I see that you believe, just as I do, that he is worthy. He's worthy of all we can offer to him. I'm just going to close in prayer, and then if there's any questions that you have, I'd love love to answer some questions. Pray with me. Father God, you are king. You hold all authority over all things. Thank you, Father, that you chose us. You called us by by name, and we are children of you, the Most High God. In you we put our trust, and we have no other hope. We have no other confidence. Thank you, Father, for what you are doing to draw the nations of West Africa to yourself through our weakness, through our struggles, through our inadequacies. You are at work because it is your work. Thank you that we have the privilege to sow the seeds and that you are the one that produces the fruit. We trust you completely. We trust you fully because you are worthy of our trust. Thank you for the hope that we have that this life is not all there is. And there is a 
eternity waiting for us. Where we will be at your feet. We will worship you forever in complete joy. Thank you for that gift. Thank you for that hope. We love you so very much, and we thank you for what Jesus accomplished for us. We pray all of this not because we merit your hearing, but we pray this because of what he accomplished in our place. We pray in his name, the powerful and loving name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, as I was speaking, perhaps some of you had questions and thought how uh, maybe you wanted to know more specifics about how things work. I'm I'm happy to answer any questions that you might have. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the very first thing I would say is that you need to be digging deep into the Word of God. Um, when a missionary leaves America and goes to the other side of the world, um, there's not a huge transformation that happens on the airplane. <laughs> um, the same person that is here, knowing Jesus, walking with Jesus, mining the truth of who he is through his Word, that's the person that shows up on the mission field. Um, So you must have an intimate relationship with our creator, God, and treasure Jesus above all else. Treasure him, because you're not going to make it, really, for very long, (laughs) if that's not the case. Obviously, there's other practical steps. Language is a big deal. Language is very hard and uh, takes years of investment. So I would encourage young people to study language, whatever language that might be. Any language is helpful Um, to build upon in the future. Languages are important. Um, And education, right? God uses our intelligence, and we must be diligent with the gifts he's given us. Um, Our mission has changed so much in recent years, and God is doing a great work uh, through new endeavors. And I would invite you to to reach out to me or others with our mission to to do more research um, about how God is building his kingdom around the world. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's a very important question, and um, again, something that we speak of a lot when we're doing recruiting, because there are decisions made at the hospital, and I have this wonderful team of chaplains that you saw. It's a large team of West Africans, and so we use our resources to help that team follow up with individuals. Um, They all have, every West African has a phone, and so um, they can communicate, and they call one another. Um, A lot of our people are going off into Burkina Faso, where um, life is very hard, um, and even people who have known the Lord their entire lives are not necessarily meeting together in churches. And so the body of Christ in Burkina looks quite different. They're meeting together in twos and threes, or fam- two or three families. They're listening to scriptures in their own language. They're making it a priority to memorize scripture. Um, we have contacts of pastors throughout Burkina Faso in northern Togo. And so whenever somebody comes to faith in Christ, we immediately put them in touch with one of these pastors and ask the pastor to follow up with them and help the pastor follow up with them, uh, whatever that might, might be, a motorcycle ride to introduce them, because um, that's, obviously that's crucial. But we, we um, 
put a lot of emphasis on the power of the Word of God, that they must know the Word. They must be filling their mind with the Word. And that's why we make it a priority to make sure that everybody who wants to leaves our hospital with the scriptures in their own language on their phone. And so we, can, we have access to that. And we download the scriptures of all these languages, hundreds of languages, and put it on their phone so that they can then be listening to the truth. Other questions? Yes. Who had the idea for this hospital? That would be the Lord himself. <laughs> yeah. He used a lot of amazing godly men to lead us to this. Um, one of them being Will Davis, the pastor of this church for many years, and many other godly men who saw that the northern regions of West Africa are completely unreached, completely dark. The southern regions closest to the coast, where it's kind of tropical and nice to live, um, are, um, there's a lot more light there. Um, even in our country, the southern part, there's over 100 churches that have been established. Uh, but the dark regions of the north are, um, are predominantly Muslim. And so um, our mission saw that and thought we need to tried to pierce that darkness, we need to, and we knew that healthcare um, had a wonderful track record to open doors for the gospel. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 So um, Burkina Faso is close to missionaries because it's so dangerous right now. Um, there, was, there were missionaries in Burkina, but um, all of them left because of the Islamic terrorism. Um, and there have been times throughout the history of the last five years where the borders were actually closed, that you could not travel between. Now, that being said, nothing, no borders, it seems, are closed for West Africans they make their way. And um, where there are no roads, they still make their way. And so they would come to our hospital to receive care. Um, but do please pray for Burkina Faso. Uh, God is building his church there. I've seen the fruit of his, his work. Uh, he is building his church. Um, one of our chaplains, a dear man, um, was um, kidnapped and detained by this Islamic group for, for several days. Um, but because of God's grace and the fact that he knew I needed help in Mongo, he um, allowed this man to, to be set free, and he now works at our side every day, proclaiming the truth um, in, his own, in his own tongue to his own people. Yeah. Any other questions? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, he asked about uh, the term dark, things look dark. And obviously I realize that that can be said of many situations that you find yourself in here. Um, I will say that when we first arrived on the ground in Mongo, um, the darkness was almost a physical sense. Um, they did not want us. They did not know who we were. They saw us as white people showing up at the, in their community, and uh, there was not a lot of warmth and openness um, that has changed drastically as we established a hospital to care for their children and care for their wives and, and help them uh, be in the hands and feet of Jesus. That darkness is just a spiritual blindness. 
they are blinded by the evil one. And they believe that the things that they've been taught since they were babies and could barely talk as they learned to recite the Quran before they could even, you know, complete sentences in their own language, they were reciting the Quran. Um, and this is dar- the darkness. And it is overwhelming. And it's the evil one. He blinds them. But then again, right, our God has all authority and he opens the eyes of the blind. Any other questions? All right. Oh, yes. So post-COVID, what type of things, negative things have happened since then? What are some positive things that are COVID that should have been? Yeah. COVID looked a little bit different in in Togo um, when that first was presented, um, we did not know what it would look like because obviously we're quite limited in what we can do healthcare-wise. We we don't have ventilators, and that was a big issue. And so, um, sadly, our teammates that were dear to us and working with us that were older were asked to go back to the U.S. just because we didn't know if we could care for them. Um, Obviously, that was a huge hit to me personally as my parents came back to Michigan um, and some of my other very, very dear teammates. uh, I think COVID, um, perhaps it's similar here in the U.S. Uh, I have a dear Togolese friend who told me that she thinks that God is sweeping the church. And um, that happened. It, people that wouldn't come um, to church and people that uh, believed and were taught by certain pastors that only if you come to our church, you won't get COVID. But if you go to this other church, you will. I mean, just strange things that people believed. Um, but it drove people one, one-on-one with their Savior. It drove them deeper in their personal relationship with God because they didn't have all of this, the things that they're used to having to help them grow in their faith. And so we were having more and more requests for scriptures on people's phone, people that historically would go to church on Sundays and um, read God's Word with their friends now couldn't do that and were more personally motivated to take that task on so that they could persevere. Um, COVID did not actually ever affect us health-wise, and so for that we're grateful. Yeah, the government um, did a lot to put up um, barriers. They closed the one main road that goes through Togo for several weeks when it first hit. Um, the government, um, obviously, yeah, that's a whole nother story, but... Um, <laughs> They look favorably on us, and for that we're grateful. We have a very good relationship with the government. They're they're thrilled that we're there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, The women are um, much usually much more open. Um, and sensitive. Uh, That's one of the greatest prayer requests I have is that God would raise up more men, especially men from our community um, that speak the local languages. Um, Yeah, so the women have been much more open. Uh, The group that I work with on Sunday mornings, it's about a 40-minute drive outside of Mongo, and um, we have about 50 people. They initially started because there was a, uh, a woman who, actually it was one of Todd's patients, Uh, She spent several weeks in our hospital and uh, came to Faith in Christ and then invited us to come to her village to start a Bible study. And so now we have about 50 people in that group, 
and um, but the majority of them are women. The questions. Yeah. Mm. Why is it so hard for men to come to Christ? Um, there is there is um, great persecution and shame, and it's a culture where shame is used mightily in the hand of our adversary. Right, the evil one knows. Uh, what he's doing, he has, his tactics are um, effective. Um, so he knows that if a man um, comes to faith in Christ, it could be a, a transformation of an entire family, right? And so he does everything he can to remind the men over and over that if you take this path, if you believe this truth, there's great suffering for you and um, a lot of shame for, for those men. And when it's hard sometimes for us as Americans to wrap our mind around what that looks like because our culture, we are more individualistic. Like I can make decisions for myself or my family and others don't have as much of an impact. But in this culture where they are completely knit together, that when one of them makes a decision, um, it affects the entire family and the entire family is shamed. And the entire family will will receive insults about what your brother has chosen. And so um, everything, and then of course, just the, the resources, like they depend on one another for life. You know, the, the, the saying, it takes a village to raise a child, it's because in Africa, they, the village raises the child. They work together to invest in the life of each of their children. They care for one another as a family every single day, living all together, interacting all together. And so when one person, one man, chooses to take another path, it's, it's a very, very difficult thing for them. Yes, yes. Yes. Yes, she asked about how, like, how they live together, the whole family. It is not just a father and a mother and their children. It would be aunts and cousins from all over West Africa will come and live, come and go a lot, right? So they're very transient, but you can have, you know, three or four generations living, probably three generations living together under one roof, but cousins and all, all kinds of family members, they are, they will uh, send their children to live with different family members across West Africa just for a year here or a year there, which to us seems kind of crazy. But um, we actually benefit from that in that my chaplains were raised in that kind of a setting. And so as they were cast to different regions all across West Africa to be raised by their family members, in each of those places they picked up the languages of those people. <laughs> and so now um, they all speak three and four, uh, five languages, and my dearest, uh, one of my dearest ladies, um, she speaks eight languages. She doesn't read well, um, but she, she, and she's a uh, enormous gift to me um, to share the truth of, of Christ with the people that God brings to our door. Yes, the shame extends to the entire family, and it's spoken of across, like, people, I, I meet people on the other side of Togo, on the southern part of Togo, and if they know a family of, they know the family of my dear friend who's come to faith in Christ, they will bring it up, and they'll be 
derogatory with their eyebrows down and how shameful it is that she has done this to her family. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Uh, I speak French. <laughs> I, um, he asked, how many languages do I speak? I speak French. Um, that was a lot of work for me to, to study French to the point where I can open God's word and clearly explain the truth of Scripture. Um, I also studied quite a bit of Anofo, which is the local language in Mongo. I can follow conversations and know what people are talking about. Um, I have much more difficulty exp- expressing myself. And even when I speak in English, oftentimes my children have to correct me and say, that's not English, Mom, that's French. So (laughs) um, language is a difficult thing, very difficult. Okay, any other questions? Yes. Um, yeah, um, when we, obviously, eating together, eating a meal together is very um, important in this culture. The, to share a meal means a lot. So our table is always full at our house. We have a very large table and very large pots to make food in, and we have a lot of people in our home um, to, to share a meal, and you never really know who's going to show up. So when I invite my friend and his family to come, I'm thinking him and his wife and his three or four kids um, but then maybe the aunt's visiting, and the neighbor saw them leaving, and she thought, hey, I'll go along with them. And um, so it's, it's quite extensive. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. It's not, it doesn't just, um, it's not just blood family. Yep, and they call each other, my sister, my sister, and I'll, I'll, as an American, of course, I'm like, so specifically, is she your sister? Like, well, we lived in the same house when she was seven and I was nine, and our, her aunt and my cousin were working together, and so, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, thank you.